Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. If you're keeping track, this is Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. Episode number what? 160. Yes, we've been going strong for three years and delighted to be back with a very important topic. Today's buzz, the industrial internet. Doesn't sound familiar to you? We'll tell you more. Stick around. Hey, the world as we knew it just a few years ago has changed. The internet of things... There's your key, or industrial internet now promises to transform businesses and competitions across most industries. And guess what? It's also transforming the way we work, the way we live in general, and the way we play and do business. So my question to you business listeners out there, is your company ready to seize the opportunities of this industrial era, the new one, or are you stuck in the dark ages saying, nah, I don't need it, it's not a good idea, it's too much work, it's too expensive, I don't understand it. Let's put those objections on the table and see what our panel of experts can tell you to change your mind, because that's where you need to be, changing your mind as we approach the end of 2014. The experts speak. First up on the panel, welcoming back Dave Westrom. He's Senior VP of Business Development at ThingWorks. I'll spell that, T-H-I-N-G-W-O-R-X, love the title. And he is quoting Michael Porter. I'll let him tell you who Michael is. And here's the quote. If all you're trying to do is essentially the same thing as your rivals, then it's unlikely that you'll be very successful. That's an interesting mantra. Dave Westrom, welcome back. How are you today? Very good, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Oh, delighted to have you back. This is part three, by the way, of Industrial Internet. So we've got a lot of work to do to give fresh information to our listeners. Dave, talk to me about this great quote from Michael Porter, please. Yeah, Michael Porter is a, um, a leading authority on competitive strategy uh, and uh, competitiveness around um, uh, economic development. He's, uh, he's a professor at the Institute for Strategy and Competitiveness based at the Harvard Business School. Uh, very well known, and uh, he recently published an article um, uh, jointly with the uh, CEO of TTC, which is our parent company, uh, Jim, and his name is Jim Heppelman. Uh, mm-hmm. That article was published in in the uh, Harvard Business Review, uh, entitled "How Smart Connected Products Are Transforming Competition." That's the uh, November issue. So it's a great mm-hmm. article, and it really gets into the whole uh, concept of how the Internet of Things is uh, transforming strategy within companies and how um, uh, companies can leverage that to differentiate themselves and uh, create a unique competitive position. Dave, I have a question for you. I want to level set. In my intro, I said Internet of Things, Industrial Internet. Are these terms interchangeable? Because we know Internet of Things, IOT abbreviation, and there's even a hashtag IOT and hashtag the IOT. Are these terms interchangeable? I think it depends on who you talk to, um, but there are a lot of terms out there. Um, we typically talk about smart connected products. Um, there's the, you know, Internet of Things, Internet of Everything. If you work with uh, uh, tel- telecom communi- uh, carriers, you, you typically hear the term M to M, machine to machine. 
Um, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of terminology out there, but but essentially, uh, I think it's all focused around being able to uh, connect products, uh, machines, devices, people, and back-end transactional systems to the internet, and be able to leverage that to drive uh, to drive new business processes. Uh, to drive new business models and, and innovation overall. Thank you, Dave. I'm going to make a paraphrase of Michael Porter's title of his article in the Harvard Business Review. It's how smart, connected products are transforming competition. I'm going to extend it and tell me if you agree, Dave Westrom, that we could say how smart, connected people who understand smart, connected products are transforming competition. Can we humanize it that way? Uh, yes, absolutely, and and people and uh Companies, businesses, IT organizations, it, it, uh, it goes on down the line. It is, um, it's, it's very broad and uh, impacts um, uh, pretty much everyone. Thank you very much, Dave. Great topic introduction. Let's bring on our second panelist, also a returning guest. It's Quentin Fisher, Associate VP, Global Analytics Leader in Manufacturing and Public Services Industries at HCL Axon. And Quentin has brought me this time a quote from Andy Clark, and I'll let him tell you who Andy is. Here's the quote, and it's a long one, so sit tight. We humans have indeed always been adept at dovetailing our minds and skills to the shape of our current tools and aids. But... When those tools and aids start dovetailing back, meaning when our technologies actively, automatically, and continually tailor themselves to us just as we do to them, then the line between tool and users becomes flimsy indeed. That's a mouthful. Quentin Fisher, welcome back. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank you, Bonnie. Talk to me. Yeah, well, Andy, he, he's an interesting guy, and um, Andy Clark, and, and he's the... Um, He's a professor in philosophy uh, and chair in logic and metaphysics right now at the uh, University of Edinburgh, and he's uh, got a history in cognitive science and also at the uh, Indiana University. And what I think is important about this quote is it um, is it it really starts to extend this thought of the industrial internet, the Internet of Things, to uh, these things having intelligence. And a big part of what I do is analytics and how to move from consumer-based analytics to industrial analytics and ensuring that these things have a level of intelligence and interact- interactivity to yourself. So, so back to your ending statement there, uh, previously, you know, getting people involved when they're able to interact with these tools and products now in a much more meaningful way it really can start driving a lot more performance and insight uh, in everything we do. Thank you, Quentin. I think insight is one of our operative words here. We're trying to give our listeners, and by the way, latest stats are that we have listeners in over 210 regions, countries, states, all over the world, and they're business users. So I think insights is what we're trying to accomplish here. Would you agree, Quentin? That's our, our gist of our conversation today, insights into what the Internet of Things, what the industrial Internet means to your company. Are we on track? Absolutely. And, and what do you do with all this data? And mm-hmm. that's where I think the, the analytic component is such a, a very important piece is because it brings it all together and helps people understand what's happened in the past, uh, what, what's happening right now, and then, you know, hopefully to 
either predict certain events or, or adapt much faster to events when they do happen. And, and that's really what we're trying to, uh, to do here is, is move faster in a competitive environment with uh, more foresight. Thank you. I like that. Good words of wisdom. And let's bring on our third panelist, also a returning guest for our part three of Industrial Internet Topic today. It's Chris Hallenbeck, who leads SAP's HANA Go-To-Market Globally. And Chris sent me a great quote from those of you who are familiar with him. Not familiar, you'll say R. Buckminster Fuller. Those familiar will know he was called Bucky Fuller, an American neo-futurist architect, etc., etc., etc. And Chris will explain. But here's the quote. We are called to be architects of the future, not its victims. Let me read that one more time. Very important. We are called to be architects of the future, not its victims. So how can we be these architects, these leaders? Chris Hallenbeck, welcome. How are you? <laughs> Thank you, Bonnie. Good to talk to you. Um, I think, well, first of all, I thought it was funny. I found a quote I really liked, and it turns out it was Buckminster Fuller, who I'd also found for a quote I liked for the first time I talked to you. So I was like, I don't know what it is I like about him. Um, the... What I was talking about that, though, is that I think we're at a kind of a juxtaposition right now um, with the industrial Internet, or what you call it, IoT, or Industry 4.0, that we can use old technology, and a lot of it is evolving very quickly to actually make and build systems that can do the things that we're talking about in this program very doable, and making that something that's not completely customized by an engineer, but something that, that is done with off-the-shelf tools and can make that work. Yet we are at a point where a lot of those are being built on very old technologies that are about 30 years old. And if you do that, the complexity of these systems becomes so large that it literally collapses under its own weight as we advance and as we change and we move forward. And so what I kind of said was that if we actually go in and repeat history, it's our fault. We, we know better because actually there's at the same time that this whole sort of revolution of the Internet is happening, there's a whole, there's a whole revolution there happening within how we can set up technology to actually make it simpler but handle much more complex problems, which IoT is, um, things like in-memory computing, but there's others. And those issues, I think, is, is fascinating. We need to be smart as we build these new systems and recognize what they're going to evolve into and then use modern technology and not old technology to do that so that we can maintain the simplicity and therefore the agility to react to these changes that are happening so fast now. The speed of development is shocking. And if we don't think about what we're implementing and what, how it's going to have to evolve very quickly, um, people, uh, those companies are going to literally go out of business because they're going to collapse under their own weight. Thank you, Chris. I have a couple of comments. Number one, those of you not familiar with Bucky Fuller, he authored the Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth. Why don't you all go and Google that one and see? He, by the way, was born in 1895 and passed away in 1983. So certainly someone before we entered this amazing age we're in right now. Chris, I have a question for you. And, and this goes to the whole panel. What kinds of minds, the working minds of the people we're talking to on the show today, how do you think in terms of harnessing that simplicity to make complexity happen in a better way. How do, who is who are going to be the leaders of this industry 4.0, this industrial internet, this IoT world? Chris, uh, are we talking people who've been in business in the world for? Uh, are we talking boomers? Are we talking Gen X, Gen Y, millennials? Who's going to lead the charge of understanding the importance and the responsibility of what we're talking about here? Um, I think it's. 
you know, if you've ever heard of something called a T-shaped personality, these are people who can be fairly empathetic across a, bra- a very broad range of topics and are fairly knowledgeable in them. They tend to be very deep in one, which is where you kind of get the down bar and the T. And these are people who really can go in and say, hey, look, I understand a person and how they feel about a problem, how the user is going to interact with this technology. They're also able to speak to the UI designers and the other people who work with the technologies who are going to do that and speak in their language, then go work with the engineers who are having to build out the system. So we have a lot of different disciplines required. You just have to look at both the failure of a lot of these wearable devices that are way too complex and people don't like interacting them, and then you look Mm -hmm. at things like the success of Nest. And you're like, how come everybody else was making a digital thermostat and people hated them because no one could set them up? Somebody came up with something that is radically more sophisticated technically, but the usability of it, it's just like an old standard Honeywell thermostat. looks the same, works the same, and yet it leverages every aspect of what we talk about within, you know, this sort of IoT, but for the home and the smart home. And so I think it's going to take these people that have a broad range of skills. I don't know if that means they're Gen Xers versus Gen Y or whichever, but I think Mm -hmm. it calls into these people that are very good at design, understand technology, and really I think empathy is at the core as 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 well as being able to speak to people across a broad range of disciplines. Fascinating. Thank you. Dave Westrom, we have to get you in on this before we go to what's in your cup today. Dave and then Quentin, thoughts on who will be the leaders? Who gets this, Dave? Well, I think we're, we're seeing a lot of this already. And, and to Chris's uh, point about the need for uh, agility, simplicity, usability, um, being able to move and react very quickly, that's, that's really the key. And um, people, individuals, companies that have deep domain expertise and are um, uh, are driven to innovate and create innovative new services paired with uh, the new technology that's out there that enables this is is really uh, driving this this new paradigm. And it's it's around being able to uh, create new services. Um, taking uh, new inputs literally on a daily basis as new sensors, devices are, are being added, and being able to incorporate new insights from big data, analytics, the kinds of things that Quinn was talking about, and based on that, continuously adjusting, changing, refining, extending the service offering, uh, the application, whatever it may be that, uh, that is being provided to the ultimate end customer. And that's, that's really the new world. So it's about rapid innovation, rapid change. Uh, we're seeing this in a wide range of, of industries right now, from, from agriculture to medical devices. Uh, um, and, and so it's happening now, and it's happening at a very rapid rate, uh, and it, it really is a new world and a new opportunity. Thank you very much. Quentin Fisher, can't wait to hear what you have to say. Who are we talking to? Who are we talking about? Yeah, I, well, this is moving so fast. I think Chris mentioned that. And quite honestly, I think it's moving too fast for enterprises to really appreciate. Now, now big companies like uh, GE have really done a, a wonderful job of pivoting and, and jumping on the bandwagon, but they have such a huge backlog uh, of opportunity, and I think they've quoted that they're pulling in a, a $1 billion in in revenue this past year through through IoT, so or the industrial internet as they call it, but there's been a ton of investment in startup firms. And mm-hmm. I, I was reading one quote. I think it was by Gartner who said that by 2018, 
50% of the Internet of Things solutions will be provided by startups which are less than three years old, which means, which is just fascinating to me, right? Because that means that it's moving so fast, everybody's getting on board with this, and that's where the innovation, I think, is going to come up from because it's so radically different from conventional manufacturing and, and, and processes and the way of thinking. Wow. And who, do, who are you just quoting there? I'm trying to tweet this. Uh, it was Gartner. Gartner was doing some research, uh, and I think it was their, their arm strategy um, with that. So, so, so yeah, that, that's, a, that's a pretty fascinating quote. Thank you very much. I want to put it out there on Twitter. By the way, we are tweeting, having a Twitter party here at hashtag SAP Radio. Thank you, all three. Sorry to derail the uh, conversation a little, but I wanted to know who we're talking about, who we're we talking to, what is it going to take on the human side to accomplish this. Now, let's go back to our usual format, and I'd like to know what's in your cup today. What are you drinking, or what are you planning to drink after the show? Dave Westrom, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking or thinking about drinking? Uh, I'm calling from uh, Pennsylvania, um, Collegeville, right outside of Philadelphia, and I'm drinking uh, uh, white tea, low caffeine. Low caffeine. White tea, what does it taste like? And do you do anything to it, or is it just uh, high test, as we like to say? It's. Um, yeah, I put a lot of honey in it. It's flavored. It's, uh, it tastes good, and um, it's uh, uh, healthy, and it keeps the... Um, uh, it keeps the caffeine down, which is also helpful. I like that. Thank you. Glad you're healthy. You sound great. Quentin Fisher, what are you drinking? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm getting in the holiday spirit here, and I, I have a Starbucks Christmas blend that's uh, both sweet and spicy. So uh, that's, that's what I'm doing to, uh, to get me going today. Mm, and did they put all kinds of good stuff like sugar along with the spice, or are you just no, doing not, it? Not uh, I'm, I'm sweet and spicy enough, so uh, I don't. Oh, 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 getting to know Quentin Fisher up close and personal. Thank you very much, Chris Hallenbeck. Can't wait to hear what you're drinking. Talk to me. Where are you today? Uh, well, I'm in an airport, but after four double espressos, I've gone down to green tea. Uh, so we're going to try to smooth this one out so that the ride is not too bad. I appreciate that. I'm sure the pilot will appreciate that, too, so you don't attempt to fly the plane, but we won't go there. Guess what? You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. If you didn't figure that out yet, at least I figured it out. I'm drinking water. That's all they let me have on show days. You all three know no caffeine for Bonnie on the radio. However, our topic is industrial internet, or whatever you're calling it, IoT, Industry 4.0, real time to grow your business, and this is part three because we feel this is such an important topic. We're going to go out on break, and when we come back, well, we'll have about, let's see, about a 25-minute roundtable kicking off with Dave Westrom at ThingWorks. So, you know the mantra, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. 
SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we go. Welcome back. Our topic today is Industrial Internet Real-Time to grow your business, and this is part three on this topic. Let's kick off our roundtable with Dave Westrom at ThinkWorks, and I'm looking at Dave's notes on the topic from before the show. Dave, I want to talk to you about, let, let me read this and you can expand it for me, please. The very nature of a product, and you put product in quotes, so I want to know why. The very nature of a product is changing from how it is designed, how it is manufactured, how it is sold, and how it is serviced. That sounds like full life cycle to me. So talk to me, why is product in quotes? and what is changing, Dave? Well, it's, it's, um, it, it, is, it is changing from, from the standpoint of the complete life cycle, not only, um, not only how a product is, is created, but um, how, it's, um, uh, how it's presented to a customer, uh, the business model around the product. I mean, let me give you an example. Uh, one of my favorites is in uh, the medical device area where uh, in the past, um, one of our customers, for example, um, has blood analyzers. They uh, manufacture blood analyzers, provide them to hospitals. In the past, they would uh, wheel one of these things in, charge for the product, and maybe charge uh, an annual maintenance fee uh, for the product and service it, send a technician in. Well, today they're doing things completely different. Um, Instead of just selling the product, they're basically bringing the product into the hospital, setting it up, and um, they're, they're now able to remotely see every blood test that's run on that product. So they're, mm. instead of charging for the product, they're charging for the service. They're charging a fee for every blood test that's run. They're, um, they're able to remotely service the product. Uh, they can um, uh, automate replenishables for the product. Uh, they can provide software updates. Uh, the product communicates back to them if there's a problem. They can use analytics to predict problems. So it, it really is an entire, entirely different way of, um, of doing business. And how the product is used, that is also um, fed back and incorporated into the design of the product. So it's, it's, it, it provides the opportunity to create a, a completely different and unique business model, uh, also with the opportunity to continuously add new services for the, the end customer uh, as new things are discovered throughout this process. Very interesting. Reminds me of the what's been in place for several years, the model of you sell people a printer, a home office printer. You know, you find them at Staples, any any office supply box store for, I don't know how much, 59 69 79 They don't make the money off the box that you plug into the wall. They make the money off of the replenishable ink that you're mandated to get. So it's you're basically paying for your printing services. Now, now my printer is on a subscription basis, uh, Dave, where I pay by the month. They charge me and they mail me the 
cartridges when I need them because it's connected. There you go. Interesting. That is the type of model we're talking about, isn't it? The connectivity. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And whether it's a uh, whether it's a printer, a medical device, um, a, a, a dishwasher, uh, or a um, or a uh, a service, a lot, a lot of what we're seeing in agriculture, a service to a to a farmer around um, where you should plant your crops, how you optimize water usage, fertilizer usage, things like that. It, it, uh, again, it's a very rapid, uh, continuous process where new uh, data is gathered, um, new, uh, new inputs are constantly being introduced, uh, and the opportunity to continuously extend and, and change and augment the service and provide new services is there, and that's why um, uh, that's why, per some of the comments earlier, it uh, it's it's a very fluid environment right now, uh, open to a lot of new companies, new competitors, new entrepreneurs, uh, and uh, creating a lot of excitement. Thank you. It is exciting, Quentin Fisher. Any examples? Any other use cases you want to agree or disagree with, Dave? No, I, I totally think that uh, movement to services is. Um, is uh, the way to go, and it's redefining uh, manufacturing for a, for a lot of folks. It's, it's really allowing them to extend to their customer base and get that feedback as they're using the, the product. In uh, today's supply chain, lots of times there's you know distribution channels and different layers in between them and the consumer, and what we're seeing now is that they are truly connected um, you know, to that consumer, I'll just just look at a you know a Maytag who makes dishwashers or whatever. They're they're now able to understand the the consumption patterns, the usage patterns, and then reach out to them around the service and and be proactive on on how they're supporting that. And then moving to new different mo- business models like you know charging for the dishwasher by the clean spoon. <laughs> when I get clean spoons, I'll let them charge by the spoon. <laughs> Still waiting for the truly clean spoon. I think I need to change dishwashers. Thank you, Quentin. Chris Hallenbeck, I know you have something to add to this. Thoughts? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think you do have a lot of stuff like Rolls Royce doing power by the hour, which they can get from the data coming off the system and the stress on the engines. And I believe GE has been moving in the same direction. You seem to see where people are investing in the system based on their problems. Obviously, those, customers, those countries with very, very high labor rates have a lot to benefit by here by through automation because the cost can cover it. But we also see um, – I've been actually working a lot with smart cities. I mean, I've worked with Boston, but now there's a host of them throughout Europe that are literally instrumenting the entire city and then figuring out how they can do that. And a lot of that is driven by scarce resources and by the demand. So you're not looking at a monetization. You're looking at where do I have very, very few people that are capable of doing the work, and therefore, if I don't automate, I'm going to collapse. Um, Or where you just have in certain countries or certain areas a company that may not have where labor may be affordable, but they're just seeing it as a huge competitive differentiation, and therefore, it's sort of a first mover advantage. I think we're seeing that a lot in farms, where those people, the upfront cost can be very high to instrument a farm. Um, and buy that much higher-end equipment that covers this. But those are the companies, those are the farmers that are actually doing very well, but they have to be technologically savvy. And so you see drivers being very different for different groups um, and why they're doing it. And then the monetization strategy follows. 
Um, and, and sometimes that will be, you know, for the farmer, it's just staying alive. For, for somebody else, it might be how do I make money off the data or, you know, in other areas if I'm a technology provider or in other times it's a city where there's no money, they're just figuring out how to efficiently use the tax base. Thank you very much. Uh, Dave Westrom, I'm going to circle back to you. Any thoughts on what your co-panelists have added to this part of the conversation? Uh, yeah, I think that, that w- the, the one item that's common to all this, um, going back to uh, Chris's comment at the beginning, um, is the need to be agile uh, and being able to use the, the technologies that are going to um, uh, allow you to, to change and, and move very quickly. Um, so, you know, we see this as a, uh, a very rapid, highly iterative environment, uh, and it, it's, it's a, a radically different model from the past, where, um, you know, the old waterfall model of going through a, uh, um, you know, a, a specification, a design, a, a consulting engagement, and uh, maybe three years later, you actually have something to show for it that drives value. Um, you know that that's really that's really going the way of the dinosaur, and now it's um, it's companies that want to get to value very rapidly, and uh, be able to um, continuously innovate around that. Uh, you don't know what you're going to think of six months from now, or what new services or what new ideas, um, what new insights may come out of these analytics, or what new devices or sensors are going to come out. But as these things occur, uh, you need to be able to take advantage of them quickly, very rapidly, tomorrow, uh, not three years from now. And I think that's really the, uh, the key. And, and, and also just, um, uh, you know, Chris's comment earlier about being weighed down by, uh, by technology that just doesn't allow uh, this, kind of, um, uh, this kind of rapid uh, iteration or rapid innovation. That's... Uh, you know, that's the challenge that a lot of these companies face. Thank you very much. Guess what? I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. I know, Quentin Fisher, your pet topic is analytics, so let's talk a little more about analytics. And you sent me in your notes before the show, you said there are three forms of analytics for IoT. That's Internet of Things. I'm going to just mention the three forms. Would you just briefly discuss these, and then we'll have Chris Hallenbeck and Dave Westrom join in. Quentin, the three topics you told me, the three types of analytics are the edge analytics, E-D-G-E, the stream analytics, and the big data analytics. Sounds fascinating. Why don't you just level set a little bit for us, Quentin? Yeah, absolutely. So, so now that everything's being connected, there's, there's a certain amount of you know, insight and autonomy you want to get. So, so what is edge analytics? Well, that's really now that these uh, products, in quotes, right, are um, now connected and have all these sensors, they're able to actually become... Uh, you know, operate by themselves to a limited extent. The, the most extreme example of this, of course, would be maybe the the Mars Curiosity rover that goes down and has seven minutes of terror when it goes around the other side of Mars, right? That, that's taking all of these sensors and it's it's operating, um, you know, itself and it, it's it, it's performing some pretty sophisticated operations. And that's important in uh, places where there is limited connectivity or sporadic connectivity. So that's where you're going to have those, you know, on, on-prem type analytic operations. And then you have uh, stream analytics, and that's when you have devices that are, are connected 
And what they, you want to do is kind of go back to the core, process that data through some pretty robust analytics, and have real-time response and feedback. And, that, and that's where in-memory tools really help because you want a real-time response to be able to, to take that sensor reading, combine it with a few others, and then respond appropriately. Uh, but I think the, the largest volume of what we're going to be seeing here is, is big data and analytics. And that's now that everything is uh, becoming connected, there's just a tremendous amount of data. And there's a tremendous amount of insight that can be gleaned by, um, by those, those data sets and then combining them with others. This is really a discovery mechanism. Uh, this is where we, we are, are able to, to analyze uh, uh, correlations and, and different causal factors. Why does this product break? Well, because we, we have this great history of everything that happened at the, at the uh, lowest level of detail, right? So we're not summarizing any data. We're getting the raw data, and now we can analyze it and, and really understand you know, why, why that piece of equipment is failing prematurely. We have that data set. Once you then have that there, then you can start incorporating it into more operational analytics through stream analytics and then put some operational processes in place to prevent that from happening. And, and then eventually maybe you want to be embedding it in that end product so that it performs better because of something you learned. So, so those are three categories of, of analytics that really are driving performance. Thank you very much. Chris Hallenbeck, thoughts on these three categories? Um, yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. What I'm seeing, I mean, if Glenn's coming from the perspective of analytics, I come from how we actually crunch all this stuff. And what gets really exciting, definitely the edge stuff is difficult because I don't think people realize the volumes of data. And so the autonomous nature of these systems, everyone assumes networking is ubiquitous. It's not a lot of systems out there that are running. If I have something underground, I have a massive earth mover underground in a mine, I'm not, I don't get very good internet on that thing. So it has to be able to work by itself and, and deduct what's happening and then come up and upload that data, but also get new information, new analytics to make it smarter over time based on the learnings that have been happening on the larger data sets, like the, what we refer to as the big data stuff. On the other side, so I think that shocks people when they realize that these data volumes are so large, they just can't get their arms around it when they're so used to seeing Google do things, and you're like, that's not really that big compared to what we're talking about at times. At the other side of that, I think some of the complexity where I get excited about the simplicity is like stream analytics, which is a whole different programming paradigm than, than this big data, which is more batch analytics. The latest revisions of some of the in-memory software make that go away. The same system can do both simultaneously and the same programmer, and it's all drag and drop. And the same thing goes for if they want to know data science and they want to link it in. That's not a different platform than the actual database or whatever, the data platform. It's part and parcel. It does it all. At the same time, business users don't even need to know the algorithms anymore always. So if I just know that I like clusters on a map to do geospatial and look at how things are grouped accordingly into logical groups, I may know that it might be a clustering algorithm. You have to know like 20 algorithms and be a deep data scientist. That system's not coming. You're just saying, I want dots on a map, and it picks the right algorithm and does the whole thing for you. Is that going to be as good as an actual data scientist? It'll be about 95% as good, which from an agility mm. perspective is okay. Once I prove it, maybe a data scientist refer, refines it. But this gets to the agility. We are refining these systems so fast 
or if I want to acquire a new data source, I, a developer, even a business analyst now, can double-click on a graphical icon and say, I want to acquire data from that device, and it'll just start pulling it in. They don't have to know how to do it. It does it itself. So things are, and this stuff's only been popping up in the last months where it's getting this easy, but that's the speed of innovation right happening that's going to allow that simplicity and thus the agility that we've all been talking about. Thank you. Great. Dave Westrom, thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it, that was a, a really nice uh, description from Quentin on the, uh, the, different, uh, the different levels. And really what it does is it uh, presents uh, options um, based on the functional requirements. And, you know, in terms of where the, the data and, and the analytics need to reside. Um, so, for example, uh, you know, cloud is certainly an option where some of this could reside, but if you're one of the examples I enjoy is the the concept of a garage door opener, you know, where you're sending a signal to open your garage door. Well, if it's uh, if it has to go to a cloud before and then to the garage door opener, um, if the cloud goes down, uh, you're standing outside clicking your garage door opener and your garage door isn't open, right? Um, mm-hmm. But then uh, 10 minutes later when the cloud comes back up, uh, that garage door could start going up and down many times. So, uh, you know, in terms of the factors around um, response time, um, where, where the, the data and the analytics need, need to reside uh, creates more options and, and, again, more opportunity. And really where uh, a lot of these uh, use cases, a lot of these applications, um, really some exciting stuff that's being looked at in retail, uh, the um, – uh, you know, if you ever saw that movie Minority Report, where uh, Tom Cruise walks by a sign, it, it recognizes that it's him. Uh, it presents something, an ad, based on um, you know what he what he might be interested in. That kind of real time analytic capability that's that's becoming a reality. So uh, so as as stated by the other panelists, this is moving very quickly, and a lot of these um, a lot of these concepts which were perhaps five or ten years ago, where fantasy are, um, are being implemented as we speak. That's exciting. Thank you very much. I want to go in a slightly different direction. Let's get really controversial and provocative here. Chris Hallenbeck, I am looking at your notes, and you say something very provocative here. You say, and I think you're quoting someone, IoT is dying. Long live IoT, and the same with big data. And then you add what the intelligence you have talked about for some time, the market seems to be getting to. Big data and IoT are just extensions of the operational analytics work we have always done. It's just an evolution. So which is it? Is it dying? Is it thriving? What's your position? Chris Hallenbeck. It's becoming mainstream, and so it's dying. The terms are dying. I think you have thank, – thank goodness I don't have people coming in saying, I need a big data platform, and then not actually knowing why. They're like, okay, good. What's the business rationale? What are you guys thinking? What's the project? And they go, I don't know. I need a big data platform. Literally straight out of um, out of a Dilbert uh, cartoon, which I have on my desk. And you're like, really? You're saying the same thing as Dilbert. Uh, <laughs> and what people come in now is now that people see that this that the technology that we've been talking about, things like the edge analytics, streaming analytics, um, and big data sets, where we're actually talking about petabytes. I've talked to customers where they don't even think it's big anymore until it's over 100 petabytes, um, which is unthinkable. I, 
15 years ago, just a single terabyte, which is now a small database. No one had databases that large. Um, people were looking for who was going to be the first one. These systems are now, I just have people coming in and talking to me and saying, okay, I've got a problem. Here it is. And typically it's like railroads are now, you know, aggressively saying, hey, I've got all this information. I'd like to do, I'd like to actually be doing a lot heavier optimization of my routes based on real-time information flowing in, as well as looking at my bids and proposals for things like coal contracts being automated and tied into that, and my capacity constraints, as well as predictive. And they see that as a single system, and it's not that big of a deal. They're not saying IoT or big data anymore. That's a very well-understood problem for rail. Or you have predictive maintenance, which is now they're like, hey, I've got this. We've got a program. We've got a budget for predictive maintenance. That's all IoT big data, but no one says that anymore. They just, everyone knows I've got a predictive maintenance and that's something either I've got a program underway or I need to get one and, and it's an understood ROI for that program. And so I see people not being so knee-jerk about these terms. They might still use them, but they're not led by them and they're making intelligent business decisions around real business needs like the ones we've talked about, smart cities, connected healthcare, connected logistics, or predictive maintenance. These are these things that they're starting to come in with. You still have innovative folks on the edge doing stuff that's crazy and trying to invent stuff, but most of your mainstream companies are not very confident with these and, and are looking more at established, proven, repeatable um, implementations. Thank you. I think we settled the controversy, but let's see if your co-panelists agree with you. Dave Westrom, agree, disagree? Yeah, I, I, again, I think it's a mixed bag. Uh, per, um, per Chris's comment, the, the larger companies are now um, uh, clearly focused on how, what their strategy is going to be, how they can leverage this, how they can, uh, how they can really derive value from it. Um, while there's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, per Quinn's comment, a lot of activity with, with startups, uh, entrepreneurial uh, companies that are um, driving uh, a lot of exciting new things. So I think it, uh, it, expand, it, it expands the gamut, but um, certainly uh, the need for technology that, that can enable uh, what, what companies are looking to do, uh, along with um, ch fundamental changes in the way uh, the engagements are, are managed, um, per what we discussed earlier, uh, is going to um, really determine whether these companies are successful or not. Thank you very much. Quentin Fisher, thoughts? You agree? Disagree? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I think everything's going, and, and I have a, you know, I, I think this back, I'll, I'll talk about analytics. Analytics are moving from consumer analytics to industrial analytics. They're becoming less about counting and figuring out how many hits to a much more sophisticated uh, business model that has multiple inputs, right, and driving specific business and benefits improvements. And um, w with that, you're, you're getting a, a, a much more integrated and richer point of view on uh, and solution on, on how to go after this. So, so I think these, these broad uh, uh, platforms that we've been talking about are, are going to be going away. And back to these startups, you're going to see much more niche companies that, that are really looking at the complete, you know, the SMAC portfolio, social, mobile, analytic, cloud, 
and and building these solutions around that so that you know they're solving a true business need and 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 driving real tangible results and i think that's exactly what chris is talking about and uh that's where it's going thank you chris you want to wrap up on this topic i think we are going to take a break in about another minute and come back with our crystal ball predictions round i'll give you all just 90 seconds to gather your thoughts but chris you want to wrap up on this whether the terms are dying or not no, and I, I think it's different for different evolutionary and where people are on the technology adoption cycle. And so certain industries, these prove these patterns are proven, and so they kind of have dropped them. And I think there's other ones that are just starting to realize where the value can come from, and they're still grappling with what those right, proven, repeatable solutions are. And in those cases, I think they're still using these terms like IoT, big data, because they just lack a, a, a terminology, a term to use, so they use what's most convenient and represents the sort of emotional aspect of the complexity of these systems are trying to grapple with because the technology is there. It's not, we get it now, but I still think they grapple with the emotions of such big projects. And so, and I think that's what the words like big data and IoT have represented more, more uh, emotion than they have technology um, on just the, uh, the complexity of these projects. And so I think we're going to see both and it just depends on industry. Interesting, interesting. It's Chris, it's like knocking on the door of the fraternity or the after-hours club and knowing the password, the secret password. Remember, you see it in so many movies. What's the word? Nope, you got the wrong word. Go behind the velvet rope again. So it, it may be possibly that it's a cultural thing where people are dropping these terms because they think they want other people to know that they're in the know. Is it possibly just cultural? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, and that's always unfortunate when you get people with that attitude of trying to create that sort of like, hey, we're part of the club. I think the more people you can get with information that can add into the to the knowledge base that the company's working for is always a good thing. And you know, and I just really can't stand when people use terminology to try to create isolated areas. I think we need to embrace all the different areas, like I talked about, from designers and people to the users to the technologists to the business folks, and all work together. Um, and so, if technology is being used that way, that would very much make me sad. But I think you might be right. Yep, we want you to be happy. We all need to have a campaign to make Chris Hallenbeck happy about this. Guess what? I'm going to give everybody 90 seconds. We're going to go out and take a break, and when we come back, I will put the predictions segment on, and we're going to talk to Dave Westrom at ThingWorks, Quentin Fisher at HCL Axon, and Chris Hallenbeck at SAP, my three wonderful panelists, and I'm going to find out if we fast-forward this conversation about the industrial Internet up to the year 2020 or any year, day, month, minute, time frame, you see in the crystal ball gentlemen what would we be talking about so we'll do a little predictions plays i'm bonnie d graham we're going to be right back after the break you know the drill just don't go away bread out the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. 
SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and it's time for our predictions round. We're going to kick it off with Dave Westrom at ThingWorks. And a quick shout-out to whoever is tweeting at IOT Attack. There's a good use of the term, Chris Hallenbeck. They're attacking with it now. Or they're, maybe they're attacking around it or about it or spreading the word, whatever. So whoever you are, thank you so much for joining us on Twitter. Dave Westrom, how far out into the future can you see in the crystal ball regarding what's happening, what's going to happen in the future with the industrial Internet? Two minutes on the clock. Go. Yeah, I don't think we need to, uh, to look too far out as all the panelists have, have said things are, are moving at, a, at an incredible speed. Um, I'd go back to the, um, the Michael Porter quote, uh, if all you're trying to do is essentially the same thing as your rivals, then it's unlikely you'll be very successful. Uh, I think we're entering a new uh, era um, where uh, rapid innovation, uh, continuous innovation is going to be the key, and, and the, the last 20 years of, of building up these um, uh, these huge uh, uh, IT infrastructures that are very hard to change and, and very hard to uh, create new incremental value, that's going to come crashing down. And it's going to be about uh, differentiated, unique offerings uh, that are going to be uh, created rapidly and, and continuously extended uh, and changed. And the idea of, of quantifying value propositions for new offerings, um, if you can create something fast enough at a low enough price uh, and, and broaden the participation of the organization in the innovation process. Uh, if something does not deliver on the value prop, you simply throw it out and move on to the, uh, to the next one. And so, so I think that's really um, uh, where we're heading. And um, the, the things that have been mentioned here, agility, uh, ease, of, ease of use, change, those are those are the key um, those are the key things, and it's going to be it's going to be a new world and a new environment as as we head into the future. Agility, change, and ease of use—good words to live by—and we're going to keep those in our vocabulary. Quentin Fisher at HCL Axon. Quentin, how far in the future can you see, and what would you like to predict? Yeah, I think to echo Dave's point, I don't know how how far out it is because it's moving so fast, but. Right now, I see a lot of big corporations, uh, you know, moving forward in this front. People that have some war chests that can invest in this and 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 can move forward. I see uh, this extending to all businesses as we move forward, and I see um, the easy button for IoT coming out. I see people really taking uh, organiz- uh, companies really bundling solutions together that that make this ubiquitous, uh, you know, across industry. And and it's just going to be, I think, to echo some of the previous comments, just a way of doing business. Um, So so what are some of those components? Um, So 
you know, I, I think it, it's about providing that intelligence, that, that business intelligence. And I think we touched a bit on some of the, the tools that, that Chris mentioned around machine learning and taking all of this data and really being able to process it quickly and having users that aren't data scientists be able to to use it and, and come up with innovative new ways of, of, of manufacturing or building a product. Uh, I think we're going to see, you know, within that, we're going to see these consumer-centric analytics evolve to much more industry-niched uh, analytic sets that solve a specific problem or area. And, um, and then we're going to see, see the products, back to Dave's point, uh, become much more intelligent and uh, you know I'm reading a book now about the enchanted objects enchanted objects by David Rose and really how you know the, the, even the products that we're developing are going to start uh, you know becoming much more integrated into all this so so to summarize um, you know the the easy button for IOT and end-to-end capabilities and services that are bundled around uh, very specific industries uh, to drive real business value. Thank you very much. Chris Hallenbeck, I saved a whole two minutes for you as well. What are your predictions? How far ahead can you look? I just want to make a comment on that, which was I thought that that was very, very well said. You also asked about people earlier. And mm-hmm. I think that people today, the people coming out of school, the assumption is they have to know a lot of these algorithms. They have to know that. So what we consider specialist data scientists or business analysts, that's everybody coming out of school today. That's just something you have to know. It's like being able to write well was for us. Um, and so I think that the, the capabilities and the demands of those people for good tools and technology to do their jobs and the way that they're going to think of innovation is just going to continue to pound forward. Um, and, and I think it's going to accelerate as these people come out of school with this knowledge um, and that is part of core curriculum. From, from the overall predictive side, I kind of jumped it with some of my earlier comments, which was I think you are going to see a decline. You're going to see a big lift in those large countries like the U.S., Germany, and other countries that have very high levels of, um, of labor rates, and therefore it makes the most sense to do investment. All you have to do is look at, I think, Procter & Gamble with Gillette is a leading one. They have their main factory for their highest-end products. One is in the middle of Boston, and the other is in the middle of Berlin. You're like, who would ever put a factory in those places? They barely have anyone working on them. They're completely automated, and they just have a very few high-end operators and, and, and people who maintain them. So they run them in the middle of major cities because they can get great people who want to work there. Um, and so you already see that happening. And so I think you're going to also see this a continued differentiator of the haves and have-nots as this technology continues to take off, much like we saw those farmers who innovated back in the 80s when, the farm, when farm prices went down and on acreage went down by a third to a quarter of what it was. The people who didn't innovate went out of business. Those farmers who actually stayed on the cutting edge, invested, made big bets, and bought that land became the farmers of the future. That's happening again. So, again, you see these huge movements. I think what you also see, though, is on the personal side. You see things like a lot of the folks making wearables going out of business. You see, you see Google Glass trying to shift because nobody wants to wear them. So I think on the personal side, I think us as humans are going to be the biggest challenges. So you'll see a lot moving to the mobile device, but I don't – wearables as this huge thing and us as walking computers with stuff all over us, 
that it was an idea, I think is dying fairly quickly. So I don't think you're going to see any of it. I think it's going to be very subtle, like in our mobile phones. Thank you very much. Guess what? It leaves me about 30 seconds to close the show. I can't thank the three of you enough. This was a great part three on Industrial Internet. My special guests, Dave Westrom at Things ThingWorks, Quentin Fisher at HCL Axon, and Chris Hallenbeck at SAP. A shout-out to Rosemary Butler and Chris. You know why. Her patience in helping get Chris on board for this. And, Chris, thank you so much. I hope it was worthwhile because we sure enjoyed having you. Thank you to Malcolm Kimberlin and Brad and the business team and who business channel and whoever is there at IOT Attack tweeting. We appreciate that very much. Today is our doubleheader Wednesday, so I'll be back this afternoon with the Internet of Things with Game Changers, talking about education and training for developers in the IoT, continuing our theme today. And tomorrow we'll be back with Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, a great week on SAP Radio. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. We certainly will. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. Changers presented by SAP. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.